0: The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.
1: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
0: Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, Starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. They say that familiarity breeds contempt, and I suppose that's true. Some people find it easy to despise that which they see every day. People, places, things, any of your major nouns are in play. If it weren't for you, I could have what have you. It was an old song, one that hung in the air whenever a divorce case staggered through our doors, like the boozy refrain of a tired orchestra that didn't know when to call it a night. There were as many reasons for this as there were stories in the Naked City, I suppose, but they all added up to the same twisted, misapplied self-hatred that ate up an awful lot of people that otherwise didn't seem to have an awful lot to complain about. But it was different where blood was concerned, There was no greater source of both familiarity and its wicked stepsister than in the crowded branches of your own family tree. These days people had no qualms about picking up stakes and starting a new life, and once sacred bonds of holy this and that now seemed like quaint relics of a bygone age. But however much of yourself you lost and found, you couldn't shake family. As for me... Trixie and I had recently enjoyed plenty of opportunities to get familiar with the reasonably consistent tick-tock of the office clock and the gentle peeling sound of the grey-green paint on the office walls, and I can report a reasonably high degree of contempt for both sensations. Run off our feet we were not. Which is why we were, for a moment, disoriented and confused by a strange sound which interrupted our afternoon reverie.
2: What in blazes?
0: I'll say. There seems to be something wrong with our telephone.
2: The odd ringing noise?
0: Well, Whatever it is, it's bothering the dog. All right. I think we should call a repairman?
2: Jack, I swear, if we lose this call... All
0: right. Don't get your skirt in a knot. Justice and Dixon, private investigations. Your murder solved or your corpse cheerfully returns.
2: Jack.
1: Is this... I'm sorry. I... I'd like to speak to a detective, please.
0: Why, madam, your wish is my command. This is Jack Justice speaking. You have a problem?
1: How did you know?
0: Elementary, my dear Watson.
1: Jack. Who's Watson?
0: I beg your pardon. I must have mistaken you for someone else.
1: Jack. Who is that?
0: That? Ah, it's Watson now. Come here, Watson. I need you.
1: If this is a bad time...
0: Nonsense, my dear. No time like the present?
1: Jack, for Pete's
2: sake. Some manners.
0: Of course. Whom am I addressing, please? What's that? We have, through exhaustive interview, established that you are neither Justice nor Watson... While it certainly helps to narrow the field a little specificity... This is
1: Edie Martin, Mr. Justice.
0: Well, what can we do for you, Miss Martin?
1: It's about my sister, Jane. Jane Martin? Jane Carter. This might be easier to explain in person. I'm staying at the Hotel Metrolite, room 614. Will you come?
0: Our rate is $35 a day, plus expenses, Miss Martin. If that's all right with you, we'd be pleased to start the clock with a house call.
1: Oh, Well, I guess you'd better, Mr. Justice. Will you come right away?
0: That sound you hear is me at your door. What? We'll be there soon.
2: We don't generally take on a case sight unseen, it's true. But if folks didn't want to trudge down to our stylish offices, they'd better be prepared to pay for the time. This often had the unwelcome effect of making us feel ever so slightly beholden to the prospective client. And we had been hooked once or twice by our reluctance to turn down a case in one breath and present a bill in the next. A united front usually helped in this regard. I was there to say no. Jack was there to... I don't know. Whatever it was Jack did around here. Look hard-boiled, I guess. This was on the list of reasons that I declined Jack's gracious offer to remain behind while he sized up our prospective client. There was also the barely discernible trace of a leer as he mouthed the words, size up and the tiny ironic pause between perspective and client. I had heard him call her Miss Martin twice, and since she was already on the ledger sheet to the tune of $35 worth of black ink, I thought someone ought to come along to protect the poor girl from a fate worse than death. Besides, if I stared at those walls for five more minutes, I was going to come down with the screaming heebie-jeebies, and there are only so many times in a day that even the most health-conscious dog can usefully be walked. King Jr., the agency bloodhound and all-around crime-fighting mutt, was exhausted in the red leather chair. As we put on our hats, he gave us a look that dared us to disturb him again, which we politely declined to do. For all the administrative trouble they presented, meetings in hotels are often a good sign. First off, they suggest an out-of-towner, the sort of person who generally has a sort of problem they might handle themselves if only they knew their way around town. Secondly, they suggest a less-than-adventurous type, unlikely to get their bearings in a day or two and take matters into their own hands. I'm not a lazy gal by nature, but if the agency could get three or four days' work in before the end of the month without anyone shooting at the agency's best asset, or any of her best assets, which were legion, well, so much the better. Some hotels frowned upon their young female guests entertaining privately in their rooms, but I had understandably little trouble, and Jack knew every house detective in town. They usually represented the shallow end of the talent pool, and a lot of private eyeballs gave them the high hat as a result. But the house dick is the king of his little castle, and Jack was bright enough to treat them as equals, which for some reason they took as a compliment. Alf McKinney was the man at the Metrolite. He and Jack exchanged smirks as we came through the revolving doors. Jack asked after our client at the desk, and without looking back, I could see the clerk catch McKinney's eye and get a nod of approval. We made our way to the elevator. Alf gave Jack a look that said anything I need to know. Jack gave a little shrug that suggested he hadn't the faintest idea, which was easy to believe if you knew him. I breezed by. Alf took his hat off his head and rested it over his heart. Not in a showy way. Just for me. I smiled. If he ever pressed his case a little harder, he just might get somewhere.
0: If you've got some unfinished business in mind, I can handle this myself.
2: What are you suggesting?
0: That you've been smiling since the lobby, which makes me fear for an old pal's safety.
2: Don't talk crazy.
0: If I was talking crazy, you would have said what? Or who? Not don't talk crazy.
2: Let's just meet Miss Martin, shall we?
0: Also, we wouldn't be wandering around this hallway waiting for it to occur to you that I haven't told you the room number.
2: Justice, give me one good reason not to shoot you here and now. Oh, my!
0: Because it would alarm our new client, Miss Edie Martin. It is Miss Martin, isn't it? I'm Jack Justice.
1: How do you do? And you must be Watson. What? I... Trixie, please. Won't you please come in?
0: Thank you. Well, I'm impressed. I didn't know the Metrolite had sweets this nice.
1: It was all I could arrange on short notice.
0: Don't apologize. I enjoy having a client that can afford a good hotel. Hey, there's another room through here.
2: Yeah, thanks. We'll take it. Just wrap it up and have it delivered, would you? What?
0: My partner is anxious for me to cut to the chase, I'm afraid. I have a bad habit of being charming.
1: Very bad. Won't you sit down?
0: Thank you. You said on the telephone that there was some problem with your sister Jane?
1: Not exactly. That is... There's
0: no need to be nervous, Miss Martin. We're here to help. Why don't you begin at the beginning?
1: Oh, Mr. Justice, that was also very long ago. Do either of you have any brothers or sisters?
0: Trixie's an only child. I came from a more crowded pen. I'm sorry? There were seven of us.
1: Oh, my. Are you all very close?
0: I wouldn't say so. But we're not talking about me...
1: Does it bother you?
0: Not at all. It's your nickel, is all. Two of my brothers didn't make it back from the war. The rest of us are in different places, different lives. In the end, we didn't have much more in common than blood. You know how these things go.
1: I do indeed, Mr. Justice. All too well. But in the case of Jane and I, perhaps we had too much in common. You see, we were twins. Identical in every way. Oh, my. Down, boy. We were inseparable as girls... We shared everything and did it gladly. Friends, secrets, clothes. Until one day we found something that we just couldn't share.
2: What was his name? I beg your pardon? Forgive me, miss, but the story's not a new one. I didn't have a twin, it's true, but it's not hard to see what could come between us if I did.
1: Well, as it happens, you're right. We met Jonathan in our sophomore year in college. He was in a class with Jane, and she fell madly in love with him at once. If you could have seen him then, you'd know why. Tall and strong, with golden curls. And did
0: this modern-day Adonis return the favor?
1: No, I doubt he ever knew how Jane felt. You see, she was terribly shy and a little naive. She told me all about him, of course. But to Jonathan, they were just great pals. And poor Jane never knew how to get past that. But I did.
0: Uh Aha! The plot thickens.
1: I always had lots of boyfriends... And they never really meant that much to me. One was very much like another, but I did so enjoy watching them trip over each other. But somehow, perhaps because Jane's feelings for him made him off limits, or perhaps because his family was terribly wealthy... They were? Oh, my, yes. I suppose we didn't know that at first. Jonathan was never one to flaunt. But over time, it became clear. And then it was even more impossible for Jane to tell him of her feelings... She loved him so. She didn't want to seem mercenary.
0: But you didn't mind.
2: Jack!
1: No, no. It's all right. I deserve that. I betrayed the trust of someone who had never had any reason to doubt me before. I didn't know Jonathan as well as Jane did, but she'd told me so much about him. His interests, his likes and dislikes. It was easy. It would have been easy for her if only she'd tried. I'm afraid I threw myself at him.
0: And he caught you, yes?
1: Yes. I pressured him for a quick marriage, before Jane even knew what was happening. His family was less than pleased with how sudden it all was, but they soon got over their objections. And Jane? Jane lost the two people she loved most in the world at a single stroke, Trixie. She was crushed. She left school and ran off. No one knew where to. I knew I was responsible, but I couldn't risk my marriage by getting involved. I left with Jonathan... We traveled the world, had a life most women can only dream of. In time, I heard that she had moved here, started her life over as best she could. But I never took the time to... I don't know. What could I have said? I took everything from her.
0: I wouldn't punish yourself too much.
1: What do you mean?
0: Well, all's fair in love and war. (laughs)
1: Like most clichés, Mr. Justice, that is hardly ever true. And... Even if it were, I declared war on my twin sister. Almost a part of myself. I know now that I can never make it right.
2: But you've come here to try? Or am I wrong?
1: No, no. You're exactly right. You see, I have no one else. What happened to your husband? Jonathan died in a... in a boating accident. Last year. His family is civil. Certainly I'll always be comfortable... But I've become so very aware of how alone I have been since the day I drove my sister out of my life. I packed my things and traveled here with the intention of finding Jane and begging her forgiveness.
0: And you've had some trouble locating your sister?
1: Not at all. She lives at 1424 Birch Road.
0: Then I'm confused. Exactly why do you need two detectives when one city directory has clearly done the trick?
1: It's been seven years, Mr. Justice. I haven't seen or spoken to Jane... I don't know what she's feeling. If she would be able to find it in her heart to forgive me, I don't know that I would.
0: Why don't you try a subtle word to your sister's husband? Maybe she's spoken to him about this.
1: Jane has never married. She's alone to this day. And now, so am I. I'd like to change all that.
2: So you'd like us to make contact for you?
1: I'm a terrible coward, I know. I wouldn't blame you if you wanted nothing to do with this, but I implore you to do this thing for me.
0: Well... It all seems a bit delicate for our m- normal standards, but I'm sure we'll be able to assist you in this. As I mentioned on the telephone, our rate is $35 a day. A job like this would typically work on a three-day retainer.
1: Oh. Oh. Well, yes, of course.
0: Should we be able to bring this to a satisfactory conclusion early, we would, of course, be happy to refund the difference.
2: Thank you.
1: You're very kind.
2: He's renowned for his kindness. Your receipt. Thank you.
0: We can reach you here?
2: Or with a message at the desk, yes. Jack shook our new client's hand with a disturbingly genuine warmth and picked up his hat. We maintained the customary stony silence until the elevator doors closed and we were safely out of Edie Martin's earshot. You want to let me in on it? What's that? This is exactly the kind of agony ant work that normally gives you the screaming heebie-jeebies.
0: Might I remind you that the state of our finances are not such as to allow us the luxury of picking and choosing our clients.
2: That's another thing, Flattop. I normally have to twist your arm to ask a pretty girl for cash up front. You just took a three-day retainer without batting an eyelash. You
0: don't think she can afford it?
2: What are you up to, Justice?
0: You know, Trix, if you use those deductive powers on our client instead of on yours truly...
2: You don't like her story?
0: I love it. It's like a dime novel. I just don't buy the main character is all.
2: I admit, it's a little thin. Thin?
0: I got five-year-old shoes with soles thicker than that.
2: You want to check up on her? That could be rough. We didn't even ask where she came in from.
0: How many wealthy young playboys can possibly have died in a boating accident last year? Too many. Named Jonathan Martin?
2: And it'd still help if we knew what city to start looking in.
0: So go bat your eyelashes and anything else you have to with the desk clerk. See what you can find out.
2: I've got a better idea. Why don't we just call the sister and ask her if she'd like to try a reunion on for size? Why don't we do what we've been hired to do? Just this once?
0: We will. Let's just have more than our hats in our hands when we do it.
2: Give me one good reason why, Justice. One good reason why we need to make this complicated.
0: Tricks. while sparing you the gory details, I've known a lot of women in my day. Well,
2: there's a mental image. I'll wake up screaming tonight. So?
0: So have you ever, in your life, heard a woman take that much responsibility for something she's done?
2: Jack, don't take this the wrong way, but you're a complete pig.
0: What would be the right way, exactly?
2: Whichever way you find most deeply offensive.
0: Nice. Like it or not, I do know a thing or two or six about siblings. And I'm telling you, something here smells.
2: Fine. I will go hypnotize the desk clerk. What about you?
0: I don't think I'm his type. I'm going to go put a bug in Alf McKinney's ear.
2: For Pete's sake, Jack, I told you, I'm not that interested.
0: Sorry, Trix. This isn't actually about you. But for the record, methinks the lady doth protest too much. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from Decoderringtheater.com.
2: I learned what I needed to know from the kid at the desk, mostly because he desperately wanted to learn what he sorely needed to know from me. Sadly, Miss Dixon does not do charity. I wanted to call Mike Rogers from the Gazette from the lobby, but old Squarejaw hustled me out of there under some barely feigned pretext of an errand to run. Back in the stylish world headquarters of Justice and Dixon private investigations, it became clear that Jack had no errand in mind, other than walking the still comatose king for yet another constitutional. I was suspicious, to put it mildly. Normally Jack would have looked Edie Martin up and down and licked his chops and fallen into whatever tiger trap she had laid out for us. But not today. And it wasn't that our client wasn't easy on the eyes. I felt my naturally competitive nature bristling just a little at the first sight of her. It was just nature. Jack always wanted to be the toughest guy in the room, or at least seem like it. I couldn't help getting my hackles up just a little, even if there was nobody in the room worth impressing. But Jack was unmoved. Something had clearly set his radar off. The sad thing is that he was right. I had heard more confessions than a parish priest. Creeps, killers, and concubines, I'd heard it all. Most were spat out in some variation of the old, "'Yes, I did it, and I'm glad, glad!' that always gave court-appointed defense attorneys fits when the case came to trial. But many were filled with a degree of remorse, some with heartfelt sobs. And yet in none that I can recall did I ever fail to hear a single moment of justification, of explanation, a suggestion, however fleeting, that the party who was wronged was in some small way responsible for what had happened to them. But not Edie Martin. She had taken it all upon herself." "'which told me two things. "'Either she was here to offer the most sincere apology "'since the invention of sibling rivalry, "'or what she had done to her sister Jane "'was actually much, much worse than she let on. "'I was betting on the latter, "'and I figured Jack had the same tune in his songbook. "'After half an hour in which I confirmed the particulars "'with our reporter pal and planned a few ways to show up Jack, "'old Squarejaw returned with the hound of the Baskervilles, "'who promptly flopped back into his space by the radiator. "'Jack removed neither his hat nor coat.' But sat on the edge of the desk and dialed the telephone. I started to tell him that if he was calling the sister, I'd done so a few minutes earlier and there was no soap, but he held up a hand for silence. A short, very oblique conversation followed, of which I can report no content beyond the fact that Jack seemed pleased with what he'd learned. He smiled at me and rose to his feet. This was trouble. Jack had spent the last half hour planning ways to show up yours truly.
0: 1424 Birch Road wasn't exactly around the corner. "'Our offices weren't in the most trashy of neighbourhoods, "'but at least we were central. "'We piled into Trixie's car and drove to the outskirts of town. "'She was quietly fuming, and if I'd driven instead of her, "'she might have stopped to work it out herself. "'But she was too busy trying to figure out my angle, and I let her go. "'After all, I was far from sure myself. "'In a detective work, you tend to either look brilliant "'or like a complete idiot. "'I don't expect the former on a regular basis,' but I try to avoid the latter whenever possible. The address proved to be a four-story walk-up. Looked to have three or four units per floor. Finding Jane Carter's name by a buzzer had been easy enough, but you never knew how to play this.
2: Mind telling me why we drove all the way out here without knowing if she's even home?
0: You hate these buzzers.
2: I do hate these buzzers. I can charm my way in a lot of doors, and I don't mind pushing my way in the ones I can't. Having to explain myself in 25 words or less to an intercom from the other side of two locked doors is not my idea of long odds.
0: It's a little light out to work the lock. Besides, I'd be surprised if she doesn't let us in.
2: You're basing that on anything other than a faith in human nature that I know you don't possess? Maybe. You're really starting to tick me off, you know that?
0: Tricks. If I was more than 10% sure, I'd say so. At the moment, I'm playing with a hunches all. I hate you. That's tough, but fair. Ring the bell.
2: How do you want to play this? Brush salesman? Census? Telegram? Let's
0: try something stupid, just as a test. What? Ring the bell.
2: Fine. Yes? Mrs. Carter? It's
1: Miss. Who is this?
0: My name is Jack Justice. I'm here with a message from your sister, Edie.
1: What? Edie? Is she with you?
0: No, ma'am. But she did ask us to speak with you on her behalf. May we come up?
1: I think you'd better.
2: It's 301 on the left. Thank you. That was too easy.
0: It kinda was, wasn't it?
2: Your little ploy didn't pan out though.
0: What ploy was that?
2: With uh misses.
0: Oh, didn't it?
2: I hate you so very much.
0: Not half as much as I'm gonna hate myself if I'm wrong. Listen, when we get in there, you take the driver's seat.
2: Why, so you can play Sherlock Holmes?
0: No. Cause I'm so sure of myself that if this job is actually a straight line from A to B, I'll make a mess of it. Play it cool.
2: Now you're speaking my language. Here we go. Yes? Miss Carter? That's right. We're from the firm of Justice and Dixon.
0: I'm Justice. She isn't.
2: May we come in, please? You say you have a message for my sister? Of sorts, yes. We're detectives. We're working for Edie. I wouldn't have thought she'd need to hire detectives to find me. No, Miss, not exactly. May we please come in? All right.
0: Nice place.
1: It's not as bad as it looks. And the price is right? Yes, ma'am. Where is my sister now? Still living the life of leisure?
2: Yes and no, Miss Carter. Please
1: call me Jane. The last I heard, she was at an estate in Mexico since Jonathan's accident.
2: Then you were aware that Mr. Martin had passed away?
1: <laughs> passed away is a very gentle way to describe the death of a young man. How much do you know?
2: Your sister told us why the two of you were estranged.
1: <laughs> estranged is a very nice way to put it. You're very good at this, Trixie.
2: Thank you. Look, I know this seems odd, and it does to us as well. This is not our usual line. But Edie feels a lot of remorse for what happened between you. She's come to town in hopes of a reconciliation between you, and she's... Well, she's afraid. Afraid that you'll still be angry with her.
1: She's afraid of me?
2: Yes. And in her defense, she feels foolish about it. She feels like a coward. But I got the feeling that she really couldn't take a face-to-face if you couldn't forgive her.
1: Oh, I'm still surprised that she hired you.
2: Yes, ma'am. But she feels a lot of guilt.
1: The only thing she might feel guilty for is that it's taken her this long. Oh, I said some harsh things, but we're sisters. We might never be the best of friends again, but I've often wished I could just have my sister back.
0: Then you've forgiven
1: her? Long ago, Mr. Justice.
0: Well, that's wonderful. But you're a nicer person than I am. Jack. No. Well, be fair, Trixie. It was a pretty dirty stunt our client pulled.
1: Well, it was underhanded.
0: Your sister led us to believe that you loved the young Jonathan Martin. Is that not the case?
1: I loved him very much, Mr. Justice. I know now that I always will.
0: But you were too shy to tell him how you felt.
1: Yes. I didn't want to drive him away. Just having him in my life seemed enough. I hoped one day he'd see me. Really see me, you know?
0: Yeah, I know. And I know that the one person you felt you could confide in turned traitor. Used you to get to him.
1: Yes. I don't know what broke my heart more. To lose my one chance at happiness with Jonathan. Or to lose my best friend in the process.
0: But now that she's lost him too, she comes running back to you. Jack. I think it's swell you can find it in your heart to forgive her, Miss Carter. It really restores my faith in human nature. You're a good person. (laughs) Here, my handkerchief. Thank you. It will really mean a lot to me to see you and your sister reunited. What? Well, that is what your sister hired us to do. To bring the two of you together. Since you're keen on the idea, I say no time like the present.
1: Well, I don't think... right now? Why not? Jack.
0: If you wanted the reunion for a long time, why wait? But... Your sister's paid us for three days. The least we can do is drive you downtown. But... And home again, if you'd like. If you need to get ready, we can wait. We can take a stroll around the block a few times.
1: Perhaps it would be best if I just telephoned Edie at her hotel.
0: Tricks? did I say Mrs. Martin was staying at a hotel?
1: What? Well, where else would she be staying?
0: She's a wealthy woman. She could have taken a flat. She could be staying with friends. Jack,
2: for God's sake.
0: It isn't going to work, Angel.
2: Jane Carter looked at Jack, frozen for a moment. And then her whole body started to tremble. Her knees buckled, and it was only a last gesture of providence that she found her way onto the settee. Tears poured from her eyes, not with the gasping sobs of before, but silently, with resignation, almost relief. She was the absolute image of her sister, and as we hovered over her like the looming shadow of the gallows, I could have kicked myself for not seeing it before. Are you kidding me? Jane is Edie!
0: Edie is Jane, and Jane is Jane. Isn't that right, doll?
2: How did you know?
0: Trixie, what do you say when someone calls you Miss Dixon?
2: What has that got to do with... Hello, I guess, or that's me?
0: No, you don't. You say, Trixie, please. Maybe not every time, but near enough. And downstairs, when I called Jane Mrs. Carter, the first thing she said...
2: It's Miss.
0: They're just little things we say, but we don't even think about them. Most of the time, we don't even know we've said them, but we do always say them. You could put on your sister's clothes, change your hair. The desk clerk at the Metrolite would give you her key without blinking. But this morning when you called our offices...
2: You called her Miss Martin. Twice.
0: And at least twice more at the hotel. We didn't know there'd ever even been a husband until we'd heard your whole story. Married seven years, only recently widowed, you'd have corrected every one of those. And your story was so one-sided, and the job so screwy, it just got my gears turning... It's why I asked if the supposed sister Jane had ever married. More grist for the mill, but still a crazy long shot.
2: You had Elf McKinney watch for her, didn't you?
0: Sure. We weren't ten minutes out the door before she raced out of the building like it was on fire and piled into a cab. She didn't make it back in time for your first call, but she was here, waiting, ready to smooth over the suspicions of any of E.D. Martin's friends who later wondered why she disappeared while making up with her long-lost sister, and do it all in front of the two witnesses she hired. But even then, I couldn't be sure.
1: Then how? How?
0: You called my partner, Trixie. But I'd interrupted before she could tell you to. Another little thing, and I'd probably have never noticed if I hadn't been listening for it. How long did you plan to play both parts, Angel?
1: I... I didn't know. I didn't plan this. You've got to believe me. What happened? (sighs) She showed up at my door. She was drunk. Arrogant. She wanted sympathy from me. Wanted to cry on my shoulder, just as if she hadn't stolen everything from me. We argued. I... I pushed her. She hit her head. I was crazy. I didn't know what to do. I just thought, if someone saw both of us, thought we'd made up.
2: If she disappeared later, no one would ever know. In the end, you made it a lot harder on yourself. This is going to look premeditated.
1: I know. I know.
2: We know a certain police lieutenant that may be able to help. Are you ready to go?
1: Yes. Yes, let's go.
2: I had to hand it to Jack. That was almost like a real, actual piece of detective work. But there was no gloating. No strutting. Something about this case had got to him. Maybe it was just how badly he'd wanted to be wrong about Jane or Edie. Maybe there was something in that pack of lies he wanted to believe in, even if he couldn't bring himself to do it. I knew better than to ask. You don't look a gift horse in the only rarely closed mouth.
0: They say familiarity breeds contempt. Jane and Edie Carter had nine months longer than most folks to develop that ill will. And when it finally struck, there was no escaping its fury. Jane had seen the sister who betrayed her in the mirror every day. Maybe that's why her grudge had never died. Maybe she was as close to innocent as she desperately wanted to believe. I don't know, and I never would. I know I spent three hours that night staring at the telephone, a yellow slip of paper in my hand. Maybe it was time. Maybe it never would be. They say that time heals all wounds. But that's a story for another day. Blackjack Justice, episode 22, The Reunion, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices supplied by Clarissa DeNederlanden. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember... Decoderingtheater.com is your address to adventure.